Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Most of us are in one of three categories. We're either turning our world upside down, we're being turned upside down by the world, or we're just wondering which end is up. Some of you have found this secret and you're turning your world upside down. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. What's the worst thing that's ever been done to you because of your faith? I can remember as a child growing up in our small town in South Carolina, and though I didn't know all the details, I understood that there were people who were coming against my dad, the pastor of our church, because he had baptized an African-American family that had come into that predominantly white church. I, I think that's the first time I understood that sometimes we undergo hurt when we stand up for what is right. It was a few years later, I was still a child And I can remember coming home on a Wednesday night during a season in which, again, my dad had made a stand. He had gone to the city council and fought against the ABC store being built right down from the church in a very short proximity. And that store won out and it's open today. But that night we came home from church on a Wednesday and our house had been shot through. We, we never found out who did that. It's kind of crazy. I can remember when I first started out in ministry and, and I tried to lead in the way I thought God wanted to. I was a student pastor. And so I was working with teenagers and their parents and some parents got upset. It's something I had done. I don't remember and it doesn't matter, but I called my mentor, my hero, my dad for guidance, for wisdom, for comfort. I said, Dad, they hurt my feelings. He said, son, you either got to get thicker skin or get out of the ministry. I said, may I speak to mom, please? (laughs) Um, I can remember pastoring my first church. God was greatly blessing this first Baptist church in this southern town outside of Atlanta. It was on 2.2 acres and... We were outgrowing the facilities, and so the church decided to relocate. And people in the town wrote letters to the paper against me because the Presbyterian church and the Methodist church and the Baptist church has always been side by side, and now you're leaving. (laughs) The day of the vote, um, 
an old man in the church stood outside the front doors getting people to sign a petition. Uh, he lost. <laughs> we relocated, moved from those 2.2 acres to 52.2 acres for the glory of God. But I, I look back, and those are just some of the things I think about as I think about how our faith sometimes causes us to take stands that are not always popular. What about you? The reality is if we live the Christ life as described in scripture, it is going to be a life that is counter to the culture in which we live. Some people around us will think we're stirring up trouble. They will think we're the ones that are getting it wrong. We're the ones turning things upside down. But the truth is, if we have a relationship with Christ, that relationship, what flows out of us, should so impact our world that we're constantly making a positive impact. We know that. But what do we do if the impact we're trying to make is not positively received? That's kind of the... That's kind of the story we're going to talk about today. The theme verse would be Acts 17, verse 6. This is what it says. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Oh, then that would be said of us as Christ followers. Hey, the people that are turning things upside down over there have now come here. We've now got to deal with this conspiracy of Christ-likeness. We've been talking about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the story of the acts of the Holy Spirit as seen through the acts of the apostles of God as the early church advanced into the known world. It's going to end in chapter 28. And when it does, we're reminded that the gospel goes forth even after that, advancing. And it ends with these words, unhindered. And that's because you and I are Acts 29. We're the next chapter. We are the ones that are going to determine whether or not the gospel continues to advance. But in Acts, God uses this man named Paul. He was a Jew who persecuted Christians. He was radically saved. He spent time growing in his faith. And then he began to be what may well be the greatest missionary who's ever lived. But everywhere that Paul went, he left a mark. He stirred things up. He made an impact. He had great influence. And I believe that's an example of how God wants us to live as followers of Christ. In fact, I would suggest that our God wants you to turn your little corner of the world upside down. But here's what I've learned. Most of us are in one of three categories. We're either turning our world upside down, we're being turned upside down by the world, or we're just wondering, which end is up? Some of you are in that category. You're just taking life as it comes to you. Some of you, your life is topsy-turvy. You feel like you've been knocked off your feet. Your world is upside down. But some of you have found this secret, and you're turning your world upside down. That's what we're going to talk about today. How do I live with that kind of passion. The Apostle Paul's on what 
Christian history records as the second missionary journey. This journey began by God constraining him and not allowing him to go where he thought he wanted to go, but instead sending him into what is now Europe. One of the first places he went was a city called Philippi. And last week we learned that in that city of Philippi, he had caused a ruckus. He was making an impact. His influence had gotten him thrown in jail. But there in jail, instead of sorrow, he decided to sing. Instead of pouting, he decided to praise God. As a result, God showed up and and we'd learned that the prisons of our life will always cause us to focus on God or focus on self. And when we focus on God, he shows up and rocks the world. When we focus on self, we just have a pity party and those are never fun. So he focuses on God. God shakes the world around him. And we see a convert in this place called Philippi, a Philippian jailer who begins a relationship with Christ. And the Bible says as a result, his whole family begins relationships with Jesus Christ. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. So chapter 16 ends with the Apostle Paul continuing, advancing, strengthening the churches. And then we come to Acts 17. Acts 17 could be called a tell of three cities. Because in Acts 17, you're going to see how God shows up in Thessalonica, how God shows up in Berea, and how God shows up in the well-known city of Athens. Listen to the word of God in Acts 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now, Paul would always go to large cities, places of influence. Thessalonica still exists today. It's referred to as Thessaloniki in Greece. It's a beautiful, large metropolitan city. God in the New Testament always went to the mega cities because he knew that the gospel would spread forth from there. I'd remind you that we live in such a city. Not necessarily among the largest in the world, but we live in a large city that is comprised of people from all around the world. And if the gospel seed really takes root in Tampa Bay, I believe it will, it will begin to spread around the world like we've never seen. And so there they were in Thessalonica, and it says that Paul went to where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is 
the Christ. In the book of Acts, we've discovered that the gospel always divides. Religion doesn't necessarily divide. Rituals can be performed and not necessarily divide. But the gospel always divides. Why? Because the gospel is necessarily exclusive. Jesus, in explaining the gospel, said this of himself. I am the the way, the and the so Jesus said of himself, I am an exclusive way for you to experience the one truth and to know what it is is to enter into life. The gospel has always been exclusive. And so as a result, the gospel has always been divisive. And so sometimes we have people that hear the gospel and they receive the gospel. Other times we have people who hear the gospel and they say, I've got to think about this. They just reflect on the gospel. Other times we have people who hear the gospel and they reject the gospel. I want to do a quick test. How many of you here have had the opportunity at some point in your life to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone and they received the gospel? Let me see your hands. That's awesome. Praise God. Now, how many of you have ever had times where you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with someone and they said, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not ready. I want to reflect on that. Anybody? Yeah, most of us. All right, how about this? How many of you have ever had times in your life where you've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone and they said, no, thank you. That's not for me. They rejected it, yeah. And I I want you to understand that because those have always been responses to the gospel. And we see that even in these three cities and even in each of these cities as the apostle Paul presents the gospel. And it reminds us of something. It's not your responsibility to change someone. It's, it's your responsibility to love them and be faithful. This is not a sermon on marriage, but if you're married, that's a good word for you. It's not your job to change your spouse. It's your job to love them and to be faithful to them. That's true in every area of our life, and it's true even when we share the gospel. Look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded, great, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And I find it interesting that he uses this word that we translate jealous. As I was thinking about this, I'm just reminded jealousy always gets us into trouble. Because jealousy begins to control our emotions It begins, it causes us to begin to think about things in a way that we should not. And as I was reviewing this passage this morning, I I, I thought about in my life how that comes into me. And in my life, it it really creeps in through another word. I would call it comparison. I look at someone else or another pastor or other churches. And so I thought, what a great time for us just to pause, to to press the pause button in the the middle of this season of worship and this teaching of Scripture and do something that we know would honor God and pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are meeting to worship and open the Scriptures 
and present the gospel all around our region today. Does that sound like a good idea? Let's do that. Let's pray together. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we once more come into your presence, acknowledging you are the way, Jesus. You are the truth. You're the life. There's no way to the Father but through you. And so we thank you that by having a relationship with you, we can now communicate with the one God who created all that is. That's awesome. God, as we worship here, we love this family of faith. We love our brothers and sisters that we see so regularly, but we recognize that even here in Tampa Bay, you have surrounded us with other Jesus-honoring, God-worshiping, gospel-preaching churches. God, as they worship today, would you bless them? Would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them? Would you revive the church? Would you restore the joy of salvation? Would pastors be able to preach with boldness and authority as they proclaim the truth? And would people respond in a way that honors you? And Lord, that's our desire in this room. God, would you give us what we don't have? Would you teach us what we don't know? Would you make us into what we've not yet become? And in my life, may my words and my thoughts, everything I say and do, may it be pleasing to you for you're my strength and you're my redeemer. And God, as we meet here, we just want to tell you we don't really need another church service. But we desperately need you. So change us, every one of us, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Jews were seeing what Paul and his companions were doing, and they began to be jealous because people were flocking to the gospel. Not a surprise, right? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And so what did they do? Well, Taking some wicked men out of the rabble, they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar. And I read that and I'm just reminded, there there are always going to be troublemakers in our midst. (laughs) There are always going to be people in your life that are the rabble, that want to form the mob. In our culture, a mob mentality is rampant, isn't it? So this was not a good thing. And so they were seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And so what did they do? They went to the house of a man named Jason. Now, wait a second. That's a a new name to us, isn't it? It's not the Apostle Paul. This is not the Apostle Peter. This is not a saint that we think of. Jason, he must just be a regular old guy. How many of you are regular old guys or gals? Yeah. Isn't it great that when you can open scripture, God sometimes just gives us a gift and reminds us, you may not have to be someone that is on a stage or has a vocational calling or that everybody knows your name. You may not have to be that worship leader that everybody's singing your songs on the radio. Maybe you're just a regular old guy or gal and God wants to use you. And so they went to Jason's house. They were seeking to bring them, Paul and his companions, out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come over here also. Jason's received them. 
And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And so here we are. It wasn't Paul. It's Jason. Say Jason. Jason. (laughs) It's Jason. And and he's in trouble. He's being accused of, of turning the world upside down. When your life has truly been impacted by King Jesus, it makes such an influence on you that it influences everything around you. That's why we like to think of him as King Jesus, because we submit to him. We acknowledge that now everything we do is to honor him. He he gets the glory. He gets the praise. He gets the attention. So if Jesus is my king, that means my vocation is viewed through the filter of what King Jesus wants. If Jesus is my king, that means how I raise my children is viewed through the filter of what King Jesus wants. If Jesus is my king, how I love my wife, how I love my husband is reflective of who King Jesus is and what he wants. If Jesus is my king, then my finances belong to him. So you could see why it caused an uproar. Because everybody in this city was saying, <laughs> they're saying Jesus is king. And we know Caesar doesn't like that. See, if you say that Jesus is king, you're acknowledging you're not king. And no one else is taking that place of priority and prominence in your life. And I have to say that it only makes sense that we as a church are not the salt and light in our culture because many of us are not living as if Jesus is truly the king. Because when we do, it turns our world upside down. When you live your life as if Jesus is going to have the final say in how you think and speak and act, it will turn things upside down in your corner of the world. Look at verse 8. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. It's crazy what happened here. So basically, Jason had to post bail to get out of jail. And then what we haven't read yet is they gather Paul and Silas, the companions they were hiding, and they say, now get out of town. You got to move on. That's how we come to the second city, Berea, in just a moment. But I want to stop there because I want to think about that question. How do we turn our world upside down? How do we live in such a way that we make lasting impact and influence? How, how How do I live the Christ life knowing that the people around me know that Jesus is my king, that he's the most important thing to me? That it's not what you think or or not what you do or or not how you receive me, but Jesus is the audience of one for whom I perform. The truth is there's some simple ways to live this way. Let me just give them to you. Number one, if you want to make a difference right where you are, you have to learn to be who God made you to be and do what God made you to do. How many of you realize we're all different? Let me see your hand. (laughs) Do you understand that different is not bad? That different is just different? God made us different. And, And the apostle Paul clearly had understood 
the different way that God made him. And he found his sweet spot. He was in the zone. That's what we say of an athlete when they're having a good day. They're in the zone. Paul was in the zone. He he was doing what he knew, knew to do the best he knew to do it. The, the greatest thing I've learned in, in the last 25 years of ministry is that God just wants me to be me. God doesn't want me to be my dad, though my dad's kind of my hero and my pastor. God doesn't want me to be my friend Johnny Hunt, though Johnny Hunt was a mentor to me and taught me so much. God doesn't want me to be those great men I looked up to like Billy Graham or Charles Stanley. Listen to me now. God wants me to be the best me that he created me to be. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.